Hi, and welcome to Recover with Purpose podcast, sponsored by Performance Medicine and Sports Therapy, hosted by 20-time Ironman finisher and sports recovery specialist, Dr. Bron Trebendis. Here we will explore a variety of related topics, everything from sports recovery, injury prevention, and cutting-edge therapy techniques. We will talk in-depth with thought leaders and specialists in the world of sports performance, sports injury, and sports recovery. We welcome business leaders that share the same mission to educate and help more people discover and uncover their highest potential. And now, Dr. Ron Trebendis. Hey, everyone. Thanks for uh, tuning in. We've been on a little break over the summer, but I thought I'd start off the second half of the summer of uh, Recover With Purpose podcast with a good friend of mine, Dr. Andrew Dold. This is episode 38. Uh, he's been on the show two other times. This is his third time. He's always bringing uh, great value when it comes to sports medicine and the new the new research that's being done on, on everything that's involved with that. So uh, tune in uh, and, and take some notes because this is an episode we cover the anterior cruciate ligament of the knee. This is a great episode for providers, medical doctors, chiropractors, physical therapists, anybody that's uh, had this injury and wants to know how to rehab it, or anyone that's thinking about having surgery uh, of an ACL or knee surgery or needs to get checked out. This is just great, valuable information that you could uh, listen to, take some notes. Um, he answers all your questions about the knee the the ligament the procedures the surgery uh, re, we talk about rehab techniques so settle in uh, as always I thank you for listening and here we go all right and we're back I'm here with uh, you know every once in a while we have a, a medical provider on and I have to say that this guy's an all star man this is like his third appearance on the show I think has it been number three I think this is the third yeah. dang dude you're breaking all kinds of records here <laughs> I don't know if it means much but it's pretty big. But uh, Dr. Andrew Dold's back with us, and uh, we're going to go over the, the ACL today. Uh, it's, a, it's a very prevalent injury, and we wanted to kind of just shed some light, answer some questions, you know, this kind of stuff that we're hearing all the time, and, and, and go over that. So the first things first, man, there's a lot of new stuff going on in your life. I want to say congrats about the baby. Thank you. And so how, how old is he now? He is just about four months old. Four months, man. Yeah. How's it? You getting some sleep? Yeah, a little bit. A little bit? You yeah. look a little glassy-eyed. We're doing this in the morning. This is my first... It's like back to residency. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. That, yeah. that was good training for that, right? Yeah, I know. It was good. But uh, yeah, this is, uh, you know, so so what's his name, man? What's Tell me a little his bit His name's Jack. Yeah. Um, he's he's a good little guy. Uh, he's sleeping through the night just about right now. So wow. um, he's good. Right. He's trying to crawl right now. I just remember, man. It's just especially for guys, it's about one year where it starts to actually get fun. Right yeah. now, you're just trying to make sure he doesn't... I just want to be able to take him to the golf course. <laughs> That's going to be a few more years, I think. That, that is. That yeah. is, man. He can be your caddy for a little while, right? Yeah. Just go out there on the driving range with the little uh, car seat next to you. Yeah. That'll work. That's, that's your version of babysitting. But uh, so tell me, while you were having a baby, you know, your wife was delivering, you were starting a new practice then too. So tell me a little bit about that. What's going on? Right. So we just opened up a new practice in Frisco. Uh, it's just a few minutes from here. Um, it's called Star Orthopedics and Sports Medicine. Uh, myself and Dr. Gaddis uh, opened up. Uh, we're accepting new patients. Um, everything's going well. Uh, we've also joined the um, Star ASC at the Cowboys facility in Frisco as well. So we're taking a bunch of our cases over there. It's really nice. Um, and yeah, everything's going great. Awesome. What was yeah. the, how did you guys come up with the name? Uh, just basically Star Cowboys. We're on the same street, right. the Star ASC. Mm -hmm. uh, just sort of a playoff words there. Right. 
How's everything been going? So, uh, I mean, it's setting good. it up and everything. It's I, know going great. It's... I know that could be very stressful and stuff. Is there anything you've, uh, by doing that, that you've learned? So for other people opening a practice out there. Yeah, it's like difficult. What's, what's it something that, a... uh, what would you give them a piece of advice that you're like, oh, sh- man, I wish I would have known. <laughs> I you, need I to, known. you need to start the credentialing process with the private pairs very, very early. There you go. I've learned that too. Yeah. That's huge. especially like months and months in advance. Right. Yeah. Um, but it's, everything's great. It's going really well. We're getting really busy over there and, uh, it's a great office. Uh, we've got x-ray in office. Uh, it's going, going really well. It's beautiful, man. I was over there what about a month ago and it's, it looks great. So congratulations yeah. on everything that's Thanks. going on in your life, man. That's awesome. So again, let's, uh, let's kind of hit this ACL. Yeah. What do you think? So what is the ACL? All right. Let's, so- um, let's, let's start with that. So we can take a step back. I guess ACL is anterior cruciate ligament. Um, there's two cruciate ligaments in the knee and two collateral ligaments. The two cruciate ligaments run through the intercondylar os. That's the anterior cruciate ligament. So anterior means forward or in the front. And then posterior in the back is the PCL, posterior cruciate ligament. Then you've got the MCL medial collateral ligament on the inside of your knee and lateral collateral ligament, as well as the posterior lateral corner structures in the on the lateral side of the knee. And I think we've defined this before. I think the last show you were on, you know, we want to break things down. So, because we get questions like this all the time, people always ask, what's the difference between a ligament and a tendon? I always, you know, sure. the ligament attaches bone to bone, and that's what we want to make sure we're talking about today. So, you know, a tendon attaches muscle to bone. So just for your definitions out there, we're going to be talking about that anterior cruciate ligament mm-hmm. attaching bone to bone. So, um, so what's its, uh, you know, function yes let's go over that yeah so it is it's one of the cruciates and it provides rotational stability to the knee i think that's very important to understand because um, we're obviously going to get to whether or not you need surgery if you tear your acl it's important to understand its function and that's providing rotational or pivotal stability to the knee what is that what does that look like i mean you know like you know you do the anterior draw test for medical providers we know what that is you know um what does that look like and feel like for, uh, you know, we say that term rotational stability, but what does that, what does that mean? Let's like put that into a, a graphic for somebody. Like when somebody puts their leg down and pivots. Yeah. Like, Pivoting, planting off of a leg that's fixed on the ground. Right. So um, think football player making a cut. You ever yeah. see somebody that tears their ACL exactly. when they haven't even get hit? Sure. And right? I mean, I, I think it's probably 90, 95% of these injuries occur in non-contact situations, which is very important to, to remember. It's, I mean, they do occur during tackles, but right. a, a lot of the time it's you're hit and then you land on that leg. So it's a usually a non-contact type injury where a, patient, uh, a player is running in the line and cuts hard off that leg or pivots off that leg or lands from a rebound, something like that. And it's also important to remember the the position of the leg when the ACL tears. So generally speaking, the leg is straight, or it m- right. might be it might be in a little bit of flex flexion through the knee, so fifteen degrees or so. And then this comes down to what position position we keep the leg in when we tighten the new ACL when we're reconstructing an ACL. So that's sometimes debated in the literature of what position the knee needs to be in when you okay. tighten the ACL. And it's generally between either some, some guys say zero degrees. So fully extended position. I'm sort of a fully extended, maybe a couple degrees of flexion just to get it a little bit tighter, but not, not more than about five degrees or so of mm-hmm. flexion. Some guys say 15 degrees. of. Flexion. I mean, cause I've seen some repairs that the patient could really never get full extension because it, it seemed like it was tied down way too tight. Reconstructions, yeah. Yeah. 
that we'll also talk about the difference between an ACL repair and an ACL reconstruction. Oh, that's good. Okay. Yeah. So let's go. So we got it. We kind of covered the anatomy. You kind of got a visual of the function. So let's, um, so yeah, it's, it's a ligament in the front of the knee. It runs in the intercondylar notch. Its origin is the lateral femoral condyle or the lateral wall of the intercondylar notch. And then it runs diagonally across the knee to insert on the proximal mm -hmm. tibia. Um, specifically there's two bands of the AC, ACL. I always remember ample. So there's the anteromedial and then the posterolateral band. In terms of the rotational stability of the ligament, the posterolateral band is of more importance than the anteromedial. Okay. So it's that 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 is the band that you would, and I guess we'll on our outline here is partial tears. There you go. Yeah. It's going to depend on whether or not that posterolateral band is intact. Okay. And so that would be your, if you had a partial tear of the ACL, if it was that posterior band you'd be more inclined to do surgery on something like that Correct. rather than just rehab, right? Correct. Okay. So Correct. that's your differentiator. Yeah. So, I mean, th that, that probably a good lead into the partial tear of the ACL mm -hmm. for me, it's not, it's not uh, whether how partially torn it is. It's either torn and not functional or not torn and functional. So, okay. If the ACL, you, and I mean, you can get an MR of the knee and it could maybe show that some of the fibers of the ACL or there's a partial tear, sometimes that's described of the knee. In that case, I'm looking at the, for the classic bone bruise pattern on the ACL. And if that is present, I know that the knee has gone into a position that it wouldn't be able to get into if the ACL was intact. So okay. that shows me that it's probably not going to be a stable knee Got after it. the injury, even though there might be some of the fibers are still intact for whatever reason, stable. it's not going to be stable. And I think that is more of the, that's a more important factor to consider. It's not how many fibers are intact. It's whether or not the patient has subjective instability of their knee after the injury. Right. So in other words, do they feel that their knee gives way? And I always, this is the conversation that I have with patients when they come into to my clinic is when you say to someone who's torn their ACL, does your knee give way? They know exactly what you're talking about. Right now I've never torn my ACL knock wood, mm -hmm. but, um, a person that has torn their ACL, they know what the feeling is of giving way. They just know what that is. And it's an, not a good feeling. Sometimes it makes people feel a little bit sick, but it's when your knee goes into a position that your brain knows that it shouldn't be in mm -hmm. because that apprehension, that it's a, it's a weird feeling. And yeah, you get, you get a, sort of sick to your stomach feeling that your knee goes into a position that it shouldn't be in right. and it wouldn't be in had you had a stable or intact ACL. Mm -hmm. How do you see guys then, how do you explain like, you know, Heinz Ward, I think played with, played football, you know, receiver for the Steelers played football without an ACL for years. Right. Is he just bit of a freak? Okay. Yeah. That's what I was wondering. And then he, so, just, I just thought, I mean, no, mm -hmm. that wasn't on our outline and it kind of that, I just yeah. threw that at you, but so what do you think about that? I, so a couple things, first of all, you don't need your ACL to do certain activities or exercises. Okay. So that's part of the discussion I have with patients. And I think we're going to get to that soon. If someone who presents with an ACL tear, you don't need your ACL to run in a straight line. You just don't, you don't need your ACL to swim. You don't need your ACL to ride a bike. Um, you don't need your ACL to run on the, whatever the, the, at the gym or do the stairmaster. You need your ACL for rotational or pivotable pivotal stability of your knee. Um, so, so someone that 
is able, to, well, someone that wants to just do these exercises and activities, if they're a swimmer or they're a long distance runner, I might say to them, listen, you, you probably don't need your ACL for this. Um, but Heinz Ward, he's a, you know, he's a, he's a wide out and he's going to be cutting a lot right. now. He is probably, they've probably braced his knee and he is someone who has extreme strength in their legs. So, um, hamstrings and quadriceps yeah, are going to be all the like, surrounding musculature and, and it's going to be yeah. very, very big and, and able to compensate and support his knee to, to some degree. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you know, but then there's other guys who, who do, I think the gold standard right now, if you're in the NFL and you tear your ACL, yeah. you're, you're getting it reconstructed. Right. You're not, they're not going to try and let you play because right. it's just put, puts too much da- uh, danger on the other, other important structures like the menisci and the cartilage and the knee. And so, you know what you know we kind of already talked about how you would do surgery and stuff like that so let's kind of transition into you know someone comes into your office now with uh yeah. with an ACL how are you how are you working them up so usually um they will present with a referral and they've already had an MRI so okay. we'll look at the MRI and, and confirm the clinical examination is very important so um probably the most important test is the pivot shift test and whether or not their knee is able to pivot because that is the test for uh, rotational stability. You can do Lockman's in anterior drawer and that sort of gives you a rough idea of whether or not the ACL is, is torn. But the, if their knee is able to pivot, it's a sign that their knee is not going to do well without an ACL if they're wanting to get back to these pivoting type sports. So clinical exam is important. Um, and then the, the test right now, certainly in this country, everyone's getting an MRI to confirm that the ACL is torn. I think the clinical exam is probably as important, if not more important than the imaging, um, imaging as well, just to look for other, other injuries. So right. you want to make sure there's no big meniscal tear or the terrible triad type stuff in there too. So, right. Right. And it's important. I think just quickly as a little pet peeve on mine. The terrible triad was described in a paper. It was published in AJSM back in, I think it was around 1978. Don't quote me on that. Maybe it was 1980 or so. But it was McBurney's, I believe, triad of the knee. And he said that the it's it's an ACL tear, an MCL tear, and a medial meniscus tear. Now, everyone thinks, specifically, I think it's a bucket handle tear of the medial meniscus. That is not the most common pattern with an ACL tear. For an ACL tear, the most common meniscal tear is a tear of the posterior horn of the lateral meniscus, mm-hmm. okay? The medial meniscus, if you have a bucket handle tear, is probably more more going to be the medial side, but the most common tear we see is a cleavage-type tear in the posterior horn of the lateral meniscus, and that's because of the mechanism. It's a valgus load with a twist, mm-hmm. so obviously you're going to have sort of like this bone-on-bone type um, injury to the lateral side, specifically the posterior lateral side. So remember that. It's not a tear of the medial meniscus. Yes, you can have a bucket handle tear of the medial meniscus, which is in line with this terrible triad, but the most common tear is in ACL is, poster, is the lateral, posterior horn of the lateral meniscus. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, someone comes in, they've torn their ACL, we've done the exam and so on. First question is whether or not you want to have your ACL reconstructed. Um so it's a it's a it's a long recovery, you know. It's you're looking at around nine months before you're back to rotational type sports, playing tennis or football or that sort of thing. We can talk about you know athletes that have come back much earlier mm-hmm. than that. Um, but generally speaking, right now the trend in the literature is moving away from this return at six months to a little bit longer on around nine months. I think is probably par for the course. So whether or not they want to have it reconstructed now. 
let's say it's a 45, 50 year old guy who comes in and he's a, he's a distance runner and likes to bike and tore his ACL in a pickup basketball game when he was playing with his son out on, on the driveway. And he doesn't want to necessarily go back to playing basketball yeah. and doesn't need to, I would say not up. This guy doesn't need to have his ACL reconstructed. He's Unless he's a, having what you talked about before where it's giving way when he's just walking around, right? Exactly. Okay. Exactly. So if, th- so that, that's the other extreme. So this guy, I would say, let's, let's rehab you. Let's get you into a brace and let's see how you do, you yeah. know? Go back, do whatever you want to do. Let's see how your knee feels. Mm -hmm. If it's giving out or giving way all the time, then you would want to think about doing something for it. Usually, these patients are going to do fine without without a reconstruction. Then there's the other person who you sort of allude to who tears their ACL and and getting out of the car, their knee gives way. Now, that's someone who's a little bit different because they've got such a high degree of instability um, in their knee that that just day-to-day stuff puts their menisci and their articular cartilage at risk. And you, right. you want to avoid having hurt other things too, right? Exactly. So these giving way episodes, the, the risk of, of, of this is that you tear something else in your knee and, you know, believe it or not, your, your medial and lateral menisci and the articular cartilage is probably more important to the longevity of your knee mm-hmm. than the ACL. The ACL provides stability to the knee, but in terms of uh, avoiding arthritis, it's, it's these other structures that you want to try and preserve. So if you're walking around day to day and you have this uh, highly unstable knee, the risk is that you're going to do damage to the other structures of your knee. And that would be the theory in reconstructing it is to avoid injuring right. these other structures. Because then down the road, it's, hey, you wear down that knee, it's knee replacement. Exactly. Not, not a... Yeah. Yeah. So, okay, so somebody chooses to go ahead and have the procedure. So you're, you know, you go operate, yeah. you know, um, let's talk about, I know it's, it's down a little further, but... Um, the types of grafts. Good. I think yeah. that's kind of where we should go now because you hear a lot of people using the hamstring, they're using cadavers, they're using all this. I'm like, yeah. I want to know what the okay. highest end research is and what you're doing. So we'll go through the, the discussion that I have with patients here. So the first decision point is whether or not they want to have surgery. So let's just say this person's decided they've got an unstable knee, they're, they're an athlete, whatever, they, they want to have a, a reconstruction done. And the next question is what you use for a graft, exactly what you said. Mm-hmm. So the two broad categories would be autograft and allograft. Autograft you get from yourself. You take tissue from another part of the body. Which would be, in this case, hamstring type. So there's there's a few autographs you could use. Um, and then the other uh, the, the other broad category is allograft. allograft so you're okay. getting it from, from, a, from a cadaver somewhere. Okay. Um, so in terms of autograft, the main two um, that we would use would be the patella tendon or BTB, bone tendon bone or bone patella tendon bone. And the other one would be the hamstrings. So there are others described. You could use quad tendon. That's probably the third big one. Um, There also have been uh, cases of using um, uh, Achilles tendon um, and then the perineal tendons. The perineal tendons are generally used uh, in the allograft situation. So I would just, for simplicity here, stick to either BTB, hamstring tendons, and potentially quads tendon. For the hamstring tendons, you could also go a little bit further and say, how many of the hamstrings are you taking? Are you taking one tendon, which would be usually semitendinosus, and you quadruple it over? Or you take gracilis and semitendinosus, and you double them over, so you get this four-strand um, reconstruction of the ACL. So that's 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 autographed, and we can talk about differences between hamstring and mm-hmm. BTB. 
And then there's allograft. So, so allograft is cadaver tissue. It's generally, you can, you can ask for the same things we've talked about. You can ask for a hamstring, you can ask for a BTB, or you can ask for, um, posterior tibialis tendons. So, so a post tib would be a, a big, strong tendon that we would right. get. Um, but, but that would be, those would be sort of your, your, your options for allografts. Now, the big distinction is in young athletes. So there have been, this has been studied to death. One of the, one of the bigger studies was the West Point study, which was done on military uh, recruits who had injured their ACLs. And it showed that the failure rate of allografts in young patients, I think the age was 35 years old, is much higher, about 10 times higher um, than those patients that had their ACLs reconstructed with autograft. So for, for a young patient that comes to see me, uh, reconstructing the ACL with an allograft is, is not really an option. I just don't think it should be done. The failure rates are too, too high, and you just get a much better result with, uh, with an autograft. So I would, I would tell patients to avoid doing an allograft. Now there are going to be exceptions to that rule. Um, you know, some patients that have multi-ligament knee injuries, maybe it's a uh, revision where, where they've already used some of their own tissue. I mean, even, even as I say that I'm, 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 I, we know that a revision ACL an autograft is almost a requirement. Mm -hmm. Revising an ACL with an allograft is a bad idea. And it again has been shown to have a much higher, higher failure rate in the literature. How do you choose where you get it from then? Right. So that's another, that's another, um, discussion point. So mm -hmm. we're on to autograft now oh, okay, and now you. we're saying, now we're saying, um, either BTB or mm -hmm. hamstring. Right. So there's been, this has also been studied to death differences between the two. There's in the longer term studies, there's not much of a difference we can find between the two in terms of their failure rates. Right. Okay. For me, I'm an orthopedic surgeon. I'm good at fixing bones to bones. So the BTB that has a big chunk of bone on either end of the tendon is something that I know I can get to work. Okay. It is going to, okay. it, is, it is akin to healing bone to bone. Whereas the tendon, you're pulling a tendon through two tunnels, one, one tunnel on the femur, one on the tibia, and you're trying to get a tendon to grow into the bone. And we're not, not as good as that. Okay. Okay. So that's something I consider. However, that's actually the, a really great point. I mean, right there, that's, that's a gem right there. Yeah. So even people at home are considering that, that the way you explain that is awesome. I think the gold standard for ACL reconstructions these days, particularly in young patients, less than 35 or 40 years old is going to be the BTB. Um, it's, it, we, we sort of have gone in cycles in the nineties. It was the BTB. Then the pendulum sort of swung over to the hamstrings in the early two thousands. And now the pendulum has come back and BTB is the gold standard. If you're an NFL football player and you tear your ACL, you are almost 100% getting a bone tendon bone autograft. That's right. what you're going to get. They're going to take it from the same knee. Um, and, and that's what they're going to use to reconstruct your ACL. As I say that, that's another point to consider. I've read about people taking the graft from the other knee. Um, I've done this once, but it was in a revision situation where it was an NFL or a college, college lineman who had, had torn his graft. So he's had his ACL reconstructed with an ipsilateral BTB. So the tendon's been taken from the same knee. Mm -hmm. He's torn his graft. And he also tore his MCL. So this was a tough case. And I, and I pulled a couple of people on what they thought was the best thing to do, but I ended up taking his 
BTB from the opposite leg and bring in it over to reconstruct the ACL. I didn't want to take, first of all, he's a big athlete. He was about 280 pounds or so. So I think he absolutely needs a, uh, patella tendon graft. Um, and I didn't want to take his hamstrings out from the same leg in the context of a, uh, medial collateral ligament right. injuries, cause it's going to further destabilize the medial side of yeah, the knee. That makes sense. That's um, awesome. so I took his, I took his BTB from the other leg to reconstruct it. And I actually used a allograft to reconstruct the MCL. Now, again, an- another important consideration when using allograft is whether or not it's inside the joint. So Using allograft to reconstruct the ACL and the PCL in young patients doesn't work very well. Uh, the, the the graft is it's dead tissue from a cadaver. It's gone through a processing, you know, a system of processing to try and kill disease, uh, HIV, hepatitis, uh, B and C mainly, and all sorts of viruses, and that weakens the tissue. It's essentially it's dead tissue from another person, and it just doesn't do well inside the joint. When you're doing um, extra articular reconstruction, so posterolateral corner or even the MCL, the new new sort of thought and trend is that allograft tissue is okay to use outside of the joint. So in this situation, I took the I took the patient's own patella tendon from the from the opposite side, and then I used an allograft to reconstruct the MCL. Okay. Yeah. So you doubled up on it, huh? Yeah. Wow, that's yeah. pretty cool. How did it turn out? How, uh, yeah, he's done really well. I think he's about nine months now, and he's just returning to football. He's pain-free knee, so he's done done really well. Awesome. Yeah. So that's a big d- distinction: is is allograft, autograft. In young patients, you, you young active patients, you pro, you shouldn't have an allograft right. going into your knee. For older patients, you know, fifty-year-old patient tears his ACL. Uh, the the literature will tell you that the failure rate between auto and allograft is is similar. I think so in that situation, I think it would be okay to use allograft, but for a young patient, they need to have an autograft, uh, reconstruction of their knee. Right. No, that's great. Now, why do guys use allograft? Yeah. That's well, yeah. And you hear about a lot of, lot of young patients getting allograft reconstructed ACLs. I think it's the wrong thing to do really. Um, <clears throat> I, one of the reasons is that, you know, it's a quicker operation, um, there's less morbidity. I, so I think we should talk about the, the problems between the two of them just quickly. And what I would even see too, is just thinking from a, a rehab perspective, right? Yep. Is there, you know, I don't know. I just like put myself in that situation. I'm like, is there any weakness in the patella tendon then? Is there any weakness yeah, in the question. hamstring? Is there any, uh, anything that you have to do that? Okay. Well, I would rather the cadaver yep. because I don't have to So I feel like I'd be more whole. You know, yes. I know that sounds weird, but yes. So the, the problem with using an allograft is the saying robbing Peter to pay Paul. So right. you're taking tissue from another part of your body, which is obviously going to result in what we, what we term donor site morbidity. So the donor tissue that you're taking is going to weaken that tissue. So for the patella tendon, we're generally taking the central third of the tendon and we're taking a bone block from the patella and then also from the anterior tibia. And that weakens the patella tendon and also results in an increased risk of fracture, particularly fracture of the patella. The most classic example of, or or most thought about example uh, amongst orthopedic surgeons for this is Jerry Rice. So Jerry Rice had his ACL reconstructed when he was with the 49ers and came back and he fractured his patella. So that is one of the risks of a BTB. Um, other risks. What is, are they, I mean, that would just be a cool thing. What are the incidents of that? Do they have any kind of stats low. on that? And what about, low. how about, um, quad tendon <clears throat> rupture? 
Yeah. Uh, so quad tendon, if you take yeah. in the quad tendon, yeah. there's obviously a rup- risk of rupture of the quad tendon. I'm not sure what the literature no, would say. It would be very low, it's though. It's low, though. Okay. Um, sort of That's in the 1% was, all right. kind of That's numbers. what I was getting at, you know. Yeah. If it was high, we, we wouldn't be doing it. Right. Um, and then for the for the hamstring, you're, you're, you're taking either one or two of the tendons um, off the medial side of the hamstring, so gracilis and semi-T, and that leaves you with... Uh, weakness of your hamstring. Mm-hmm. So um, I, 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 it's a, described as a subjective weakness in the vicinity of about 85 to 90% of the contralateral side. Well, you'll see so, even we have a NFL guy here right now that's just getting over his, his doing his ACL. Uh, hamstring? Um, and what's funny is now I have to check because I was just working on him the other day sure. and he just started with um, dynamic movement, you know, football specific type movement. Yep. And he keeps tightening up and tightening up in the gracilis Okay. area that he wasn't having any pain with you know so now what position does he play he's a defensive back defensive back mm-hmm. okay so that would be someone who might have got, got had their hamstring mm-hmm. uh, although then you worry about speed and defense but back, what i'm so. seeing too which is kind of cool that it this this just correlates that's why i'm bringing it up is that whole medial chain that gracilis even down to the tib posterior yeah. like that whole medial side of the leg when they get back into sports specific football type movements that's the first thing that kind of they, yeah. they feel it's not even a bad thing. It's just like, oh man, man, my, my groin's a little tight. I'm a little tight on that medial portion of my quad, that mm-hmm. kind of thing. So yeah. it's just interesting to see right. what, what I'm seeing, you'll where these to, graphs are coming from. I'll be able to correlate where, yeah. Hey, okay, well, you'll be able to t- tell by the scar. Mm-hmm. So if a midline scar right in the middle of his uh, patella tendon is uh, obviously patella tendon and then more of a medial scar, sometimes an oblique one on the medial side of the tibia is going to be his, his hamstring. Okay. Yeah. That's where it is. Because that's what I remember. That's where working. we take the graft. Yeah, that's yeah. where there's those okay. two semi-T and gracilis inserts. So we go down to the insertion there, and that's how we get them. Any uh, any pezanserine issues after that? Good question. Um, not really. No? no, haven't seen. I haven't seen too much of that. Uh, I'm sure it's described as having some stuff, but I mean, the, yeah. it's you're 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 taking the pezanserine tendons. So two of the. This three, is good so. having this conversation too, because I think it's stuff that. I might see that you might not, yeah. you know, where they're just like, oh man, I'm getting some just diffuse pain on that yeah. bursa sac, that pezanserine bursa kind of thing. Yeah. But again, it's after they've already been cleared to do almost football activity. It's the dynamic movement. So the normal everyday patient, when you're having these graphs, uh, you know, we're kind of, I, I don't want to steer anybody away from that. That this is a high level athlete that's doing football specific drills. That's seeing issues. The person that's just, Hey, you know, playing with their kids on weekends after having it, they might not feel anything. Sure. It's, it's, it's completely fine. Yeah. And the big, the big, um, post-operative complaint for either of those would be with the BTB is, is, and the big described one is anterior knee pain. So you're taking okay. a third of the patella tendon and patients have trouble with anterior knee pain, knee pain in the front of their knee and problems with kneeling. Problem. And this is another question that's just, that I've always had, cause I feel like I'm always working this on post ACLs or even, almost any knee surgery is I'm always working that publidius muscle behind the knee. Yeah. And I just want to know what your thoughts on the correlation between what's going on with that muscle. Why does it lock down? Is it because it was immobile for a while? And then that, you know, that's a locking muscle. So guys at home think of when you hyperextend your knee, you know, your quad, you know, extend your knee. And then that publidius kind of has a locking mechanism behind it. So again, say a cyclist with too high of a seat, when they're on their bottom of their pedal stroke, if they bottom out, they'll irritate this behind the knee. I just want to give a little background on what that muscle is, but I see it an issue with a lot of football players and a lot of every, almost everybody post knee surgery. 
mm-hmm. I'm seeing an issue with that muscle. I don't know. Yeah. I know you guys talk about uh, popliteus or popliteus, um, the back of the knee, mm-hmm. but I'm not really sure how it relates. Maybe I it's, did one it's thing active for such a long time. I looked at. Time recovering. I want to go back and look at, and maybe you and I could try, kind of check this out. Look at the fibers of where that popliteus is. I think if I'm, and I might be I just speaking. I know because you can see it during an e-scope. It's right. one of the tendons that runs inside so the knee. You've so. seen inside. So do any of the fibers insert in that medial meniscus area at all? Are there uh, any correlation with those fibers? I think there is probably a band that goes from popliteus to it, it, medial meniscus or, or lateral meniscus as it crosses the. Because right. you always see it in the. Because if you think about it, I know we're just kind of brainstorming here, and yeah. it's kind of fun. But if you, you know, tear the ACL and you have a meniscus injury, that popliteus is going to, by default, kind of go on lockdown. Right. You know. So. Right. I mean, I think we might be answering our own question here. Or my own question, you yeah, know, but I like be. being able to think this out with you because I don't get to see internally. I just get to see what the MRIs look like, you know, right. so. Yeah, no, good question. Um, cool. But um, where were we? Man, I hate to go off topic like that, but <sighs> okay. So we're kind of pretty much, we just finished talking about the graphs. Yeah. Um, you know, is there anything while you're in there? Mm-hmm. You know, I know you, uh, the big trend is, you know, you love PRP. I think on a previous show, we've talked about the difference between stem cells, PRP. We're not going to go into that right now, mm-hmm. but um. So biologics in in ACL surgery. So yes. I guess PRP plasma rich injections. You know, just just real quick spin yeah. the blood and you know you yeah give a quick. So five PRP seconds. is platelet rich plasma. It's taking whole blood and uh, putting it in a centrifuge to separate the components. So the red blood cells, white blood cells, and then plasma mm-hmm. within the plasma. There's platelets. Platelets are rich in growth factors um, and regenerative. So that's proteins. what you mean by bio- biologics. Yeah, yeah. So we it, you're taking a, a concentrating the blood and augmenting it to produce a high growth factor concentration concentration that can use, be used to augment healing. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's there's mesenchymal stem cells or bone marrow-derived or adipose-derived mesenchymal stem cells. So um, something that I'm doing for some of my BTBs is mm-hmm. using a bone marrow-derived um, mesenchymal stem cell graft or BMAC. So you're for marrow. these kind of biologics during surgery? That's You use a lot of this? Uh, I am. I think that there is a role for trying to reduce the incidence of anterior knee pain or maybe even help okay. regenerate some of that tissue that we're taking in the front of the knee. So what I'm doing is doing a bone marrow aspirate concentrate or a BMAC graft at the start of the case. I'm taking the internal, uh, sorry, sorry, the middle third of the patella tendon to, for the reconstruction of the ACL. And then at the end of the case, I'm closing the peritoneon, being very careful to close the peritoneon over the tendon and then injecting the stem cell graft into the uh, donor site area of the knee to potentially help uh, regenerate or heal yeah. some of this and tissue that we've how taken. How new is this? This is very new. Okay. This is all, this would be considered experimental. Okay. Um, it hasn't even been published in the literature yet. Wow. We tried to do it with PRP and there was no difference. The pub, that paper was just published recently. But again, <clears throat> you have to understand the difference between a mesenchymal stem cell graft and a platelet-rich plasma graft. Platelet-rich plasma, you're just providing growth factors. You're not providing any cells. Right. So the chance of, of regenerating tissue in that case is low. Uh, I don't think it's going to be possible. Versus taking a stem cell graft, mesenchymal stem cells, you're actually putting cells into the mm-hmm. uh, vicinity of the of the of the donor tissue or right. where you've taken the, the with the hopes of them it. becoming the same type of cells as <clears throat> the tissue they're that it's be being put in. Yeah, then they're going to be influenced by the cells around them and potentially help regenerate some of this tissue, or even just help with healing and decreasing donor site morbidity, morbidity at the very least. Right. Um, so 
this is all anecdotal. Uh, I've, I've done it on quite a few patients so far, and they've all done very well. Mm-hmm. The incidence of knee, knee pain has been, um, has been low, but this, this needs to be studied in a prospective, randomized fashion um, where, where neither the patient nor the investigator knows who's, who's had it done to them and, and with uh, you know, functional outcome scores and MRIs yeah. and that Full sort of study thing to, behind see, it. to see if, there's any, if it makes any sort of discernible difference. Mm-hmm. So right now, common sense tells us that it would. <clears throat> common sense says that there might there's going to there's some there's, utility to mm-hmm. help regenerating some of this tissue that we're taking, decreased donor site morbidity, or maybe even helping with anterior knee pain. So right. that's what I think. If I was going to have this done, that's what I would want done. Right. And yeah. so, how about um, any new procedural techniques coming down the line for ACLs? The big thing that's happening that's coming around again. This we we tried to do this years and years ago, but now it's making a resurgence. I think probably because of our I think better understanding of orthobiologics, which are being used to to help this, is the ACL repair. So, patients need to need to understand the difference. And this is we're splitting hairs here, but a lot of people say I've had my ACL repaired. A repair is taking the two ends of the tendons and mm-hmm. sewing them or putting them back together. You're repairing the tissue. That is not what we do. Well. It's coming back now, but that's not what we generally do with the ACL. We reconstruct the ACL. Yeah. We take out take the two torn and ends, put the, mm-hmm. and we get new tissue, and we use the new tissue to reconstruct the ligament, to make a new ligament. So you don't have any of your old ACL in your knee once we're done with the reconstruction. With a repair, which may, is making a resurgence now because we've got some better techniques of doing it, and I think orthobiologics plays a That's role here, say. Yeah. is we're trying to do repairs. This is mainly in young patients, and you have to have a tear pattern that's amenable, I think, at this point for a repair, where what we do is we try and sew a stitch on each end of the tendon. We still drill, drill tunnels, but we pull, pull the stitches through the tunnel to try and reapproximate those tendon ends that have torn to give them a chance of healing. I think if orthobiologics are really going to be embraced in the in the in the field that is the ACL reconstruction it's probably going to be in this repair of the ACL which is now starting just starting to make a comeback you're seeing um, case reports and arthroscopy techniques uh, being published on on how to do this um, in terms of long-term outcome data prospective trials there's not anything just yet that sort of compares a repair to a, to a reconstruction. Got but it. This is, the, the theory would be avoiding any sort of donor site morbidity. You don't have to take the hamstrings or the patella tendon. You're keeping the patient's own ACL in there. And if you can get a good result by just repairing it, why, why wouldn't you? Right. Yeah, it's, it's a harder operation, I think, <laughs> at this me. point, and we're just learning how to do it a little bit better now. Um, and I think with orthobiologics, whether or not you can use a... Uh, a BMAC graft or a mesenchymal stem cell type graft that could be placed or sewn into with some sort of a matrix sewn into the tissue or the defect between the two tendon ends. That's, that's really what we're trying to work on right now. Right. And so, you know, 10, 15 years ago, I mean, an ACL rupture was considered, you know, almost a career ender for any football player, you know? So what do you think is the, you know, had the biggest impact of why that's changed over the past 10, 15 years? 
just you know um yeah. whether it's technique whether it's just knowledge like what, what what's done it probably a little bit of a little bit of everything our understanding about the rehabilitation after these injuries mm-hmm. has improved um the understanding of the anatomy of the acl and where it is that we need to get the um get the tunnels to make it an anatomic reconstruction um, Freddie Foo is the big guy who's, who's advocated for a double bundle reconstruction where you're trying to individually reconstruct the, the, uh, the two arms of the ACL, the anteromedial and the posterolateral bundles, uh, versus just a single, uh, bundle reconstruction. I think our overall understanding of the anatomy has got, gotten be- better and our te- techniques have gotten a little bit better, but the, the overall reconstruction of the ACL hasn't really changed too, too much in the last. 20 years even Mm -hmm. we're still doing the same sort of thing yes maybe our understanding has gotten a little bit better in terms of moving the the femoral bundle uh or femoral origin back in the knee a little bit to make sure it gets into this anatomic position um to provide better rotational stability once the reconstruction is done how we tighten the grafts those sorts of things i think overall little tidbits of information have helped improve the outcomes with the surgery and then on just a side note i think rehab of acl's has come a long, long way yeah. in 10 to 15 years. And know, I think as, as even people studied movement patterns and different, and totally. there's, there's so much more out there for that. So I think that can, you know, pairing those two together sure. gives you better outcomes. And I think our, as well, like the pendulum, as I, we, we talked about earlier in the recovery and the understanding of patients is that it, the problem is, is you have a guy, um, Adrian Peterson, who comes back five months after an ACL reconstruction by uh, doc, Dr. Andrews. Mm-hmm. And um, he sort of ruins it for everyone. You know, he's now people are saying, yeah, well, hey, I, I want to be back I in five be months. Back in five months. Yeah. That's just not the reality. Well, and, and, and he comes back and he rushes for the second most rushing yards of right. all time. And I'm sure that. you guys get, you get that question too all the time is, you know, people come in with a pulled hamstring and they're just, you know, weekend warrior and they want to be better in three days. And I'm right. like, you know, a guy goes on a four week disabled list with yeah. this injury and he's a professional athlete so and he's getting he's getting it, physical therapy exactly. around the every clock. single day yeah Ten so i'm like putting that into yeah. perspective to a patient's huge i mean right. especially when they're coming in and they're like why am i not feeling better in a week i'm like mm-hmm. you, you know you don't you got to put this into perspective here you yeah know? and um, i mean just just with the rehab it's important for patients to, to understand that one of the big things with acl and probably the more you know, objective thing that we measure is the quad circumference. And you guys have my return to play protocol here. And I'm big on measuring quads. And I start doing that at about three months post-op and comparing it to the contralateral side. And at three months, the quad is smaller. It's like, Mm -hmm. it depends on how big the athlete is, but it's always two to three centimeters smaller than the other side. Some, some patients it's worse. Some patients it's not as bad, but that's, that's the big limiter in getting patients back is getting their quads strength Mm -hmm. back and their quad circumference and girth of that muscle back. Cause it just dies after surgery and it takes a long, long time. The cool thing in the rehab space with that is that um, blood restrictive therapy on that. Yeah. So yeah. So you can basically quad set quad set and get that muscle to fatigue to produce those growth growth factors to keep that circumference there Mm. without having to actually do the impact or the the you know the strain on the joint to stimulate that quad you can do the blood restrictive stuff and that's a talk for another time and we can go into that all day but that is really helping a lot i mean because you can get it right into that day after yeah i mean you can quad set day after and just kind of start working that quad so it just doesn't have that fatigue and what we're seeing is a lot of our acls that's exactly it i mean keeping that quad strength like you said by using this kind of technique i mean you're you're going to get a better response to rehab just like adrian peterson not you won't get like adrian peterson had but that's probably what he 
sure. started doing right off yeah, the bat. Yeah, there's a big difference. I mean, I, my patients come in and I, I'm, it's good if they're going to rehab three times a week. Mm-hmm. Adrian yeah. Peterson is going three Round times a day, yeah. three times a morning, right. you know, and then another right. three times in the afternoon. And he's got his own physical therapist working with him throughout the day. Yeah. So it's, it's you know, are you surprised he gets back in five, six months right. versus someone who's you going to You have to be to realistic about what, twice what your life is like. Too, yeah, so. you know, it's all got to be in the expectation. Well, I guess one of my last questions is, you know, and I just get this a lot, is the, you know, why college-age women or, you know, late high school-age women seem to have a higher incidence of ACL tears than uh, than men, you know, and I don't know the stats on that. It's just the question I get a lot. Four well, to what, five to one. Four to, oh, wow. So you got yeah. the stat. That's I know it. Yeah. Yeah. So why? Um, so difficult question to answer a number of factors. Mm-hmm. Um, Give me top three. Just so we yeah, can so kind of keep it to the big thing is landing biomechanics and what we call neuromuscular activation. So, so I can give you probably a list of 10 reasons why, mm-hmm. uh, females tear their ACLs or have a higher rate of ACL rupture than, than males. But the big thing is in the neuromuscular, uh, control of the knee. Um, and, and this is like proprioception and landing, uh, biomechanics, um, uh, another example would be in the ratio of quads to hamstrings. So generally what we see is quads heavy athletes have an increased risk of rupturing their, their ACL. So females, um, whether they have bigger quads, it's a, it's a, it's a relative aspect. It's the quads to the hamstrings. So generally speaking, females have hamstrings that aren't as developed as males, which puts them at a risk of rupturing based on this, this quads heavy athlete phenomenon. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, other factors are, are hormonal factors. So premenopausal, um, athletes and, and, um, sort of ligamentous laxity, that sort of thing comes in with, with estrogen levels, um, the size of the intercondylar notch. So we know that females have a smaller notch and also the size of the actual ACL itself is going to be a little bit smaller in, in, in females. So have they ever done studies that is there a number one reason like Q angle of the hips or, you know, or is it more of this? It's just a, it's a bunch of everything, right? It's a bunch of it. Okay. So th- that would be in part of the, uh, part of the anatomy. I don't know if Q angle has actively actually been worked up. I think impingement or intercondylar okay. notch being smaller, smaller ACL, hypermobility, um, those are all things in the anatomy. I, I'm not. I'm not entirely sure if Q angle goes into that category, um, but the main things are going to be biomechanical yeah, yeah. things um, with this increased knee valgus and extension during landing and and sort of proprioception and mm-hmm. knowing and studying how to land, and then the neuromuscular things for which would be the the lower hamstring to quads I mean, what, ratio. What I even see too is a lot of female athletes. You know, 13 to 15 years old. Do you ever see them? They're just standing, waiting, and they're already, their knees are already, Valgus. yeah, and, yeah. And, and almost in hyperextension a little bit too, yeah. you know, and you're like, woof, totally. just waiting to plant on that thing. Yeah, and, so. and one of the big things that's sort of emerged in the last five, six years, let's say, in the literature is these programs for preventing ACLs, mm-hmm. and that is centered around neuromuscular activation, mm-hmm. so landing biomechanics, teaching people how to land on a single Stand, scene. teaching the girls how to, sure. you can control yeah. Standing with your legs hyperextended. And I think it's been shown to be fairly effective at, at reducing rates of ACL injuries, particularly right. in females. Like one, one difference I sometimes say in soccer players is a, a, a male patient is going to injure more likely his, his dominant leg, so his kicking leg, versus a female is going to injure their planting leg. Planting leg. Okay. Yeah. Dude, that's awesome, man. But yeah. man, we covered a lot in about 45 minutes, man. I appreciate it. Jenny, you know, he's the, he's the third time on the show. Third time he broke records today. He broke he broke records. So, and I'm sure we'll have him again for for some other things. But hey, sure. give me a little bit about you're starting a podcast too, man. We are. We're starting the sports medicine podcast. The 
the it's the it's the sports medicine podcast um it's gonna be up in the next few months tell me a little bit about it what are you gonna do on it yeah so the, the theory is sports um, medicine yeah it's everything sports medicine i think it's probably gonna have a little bit of an orthopedic um base to it kind of stuff yeah, like the 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 theory is, uh, is I'm going to interview some of the top guys in in orthopedic sports mm-hmm. medicine. Um, we we did an interview recently with uh, Don Buford down in mm-hmm. down in Dallas. He's yeah. a he's a big biologics guy and shoulder surgeon, and he's done some good good stuff. He also was played for the Baltimore yeah. Orioles for, for a too. few years, uh, and his dad played for yeah. the White Sox and the Orioles. Um, I'm going up to Chicago in a couple of weeks to interview Bar- Brian Cole. He's at uh, Rush University Medical Center there. He covers the I think he covers the Chicago Bulls, the White Sox, nice. the Blackhawks, all those Chicago teams. That's going to be awesome. Good yeah. luck with that. So, has, is the first episode gone yet, or no? Uh, it's coming shortly. Coming and we short. got we got James Andrews as well, who's who's there the you guy. Go. That's the in a that's weeks. the get. Wait till you get the po- podcast really finely well tuned before you pull out Doctor Andrews. On. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Make sure you know what you're doing so you don't do that thing where. I, I screwed up one in the beginning too. And I'm like, it was making this weird sound. I had to call the guy and be like, could we do that again? <laughs> I was like, yeah. I don't think Dr. Andrews is going to have time for that. that. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, um, Hey, give me new information for your uh, practice too. Yeah. It's star orthopedics and all sports medicine. We're up in, uh, up in Frisco. You can find our website, starorthopedics.com or my, my personal website is, is doldmd.com. Your own, per- look at your own personal website. Look own at, website. Wow. Baby. Yeah. Look so you can find information. This guy's, this guy's all of our information. That's important, man. Look at this. He's got his own website. <laughs> yeah, and everything. Right. How about the uh, Instagram stuff? You're starting to do some cool stuff with that too, by yeah, showing, we, showing procedures. I love that. Yeah. Keep that up by the stuff. way, man. I mean, yeah, I, People like for, that. For I think, me seeing some too, of the, some of the you know, doing what there. I've done for 15 years, like you, like even saying that Pablidius question we had and being able to see the anatomy, I, I don't get to see that. Sure. So it helps me. There you, you go. I'm, so, next knee scope I do, I'm going to film a little video in the lateral compartment and I'll show you Pablidius. There, exactly. See, the that's, that's what I want to see though. That's so cool to me though, because it really uh, gives me a different perspective. Tremendous. There you go. There you go. <laughs> Awesome, man. Hey, well, thanks for doing this again, man. I always appreciate you and uh, we'll do it again. Okay. For sure. Thanks for having me. Recover with Purpose podcast is made possible and sponsored by Performance Medicine and Sports Therapy. Join Dr. Ron Chorbendis next time, only here on Recover with Purpose podcast. Thanks for listening.